three creamed clams can cram in a clean cream can. I don't get it. Welcome to I Don't Get It, uh, a podcast about performance in Edmonton. I'm Paul. I'm Fonda. And I'm Andrew. Andrew, we don't normally hear your voice on this this podcast. You're the silent partner making us sound good. Yes, I know. And today I'm going to try to sound good as uh, you let me do a little thing that I've been wanting to do for uh, a little while now leading up into the Fringe, which is to talk about... Fringe reviewing. Yep. <laughs> yeah, which is always a fun part of the fringe every year. And uh, we all sort of have um, a relationship with that side of things, sort of the more media side covering the fringe. Uh, mm-hmm. Paul, you also have some experience as a fringe performer. Right, so, yeah. Uh, but that's something that Fawn and I uh, don't really have. So I kind of just wanted to get us all together to kind of chat about uh, that whole thing from sort of all different size, uh, sides mm-hmm. and focusing on the fringe reviewing and a little bit of philosophy how that happens right. the pitfalls yeah oh yeah, oh the, yeah the beautiful beast that is the <laughs> the fringe and the the roller coaster on all sides yeah um, the collective decades that we all have actually reviewing the fringe like i have 10 years yeah yeah and you know you have probably almost that much i did as uh, much. i started in 2008 so yeah? this would have been i guess this would be 10 years yeah. uh, if i'd been consistent throughout that whole time right well how did you start getting into fringe reviewing well, through the alt-weekly circuit, you know, it was sort of um, when I worked back at Sea, back in the days of Sea Magazine, um, we there was a goal to review every single show by the first Monday of the Fringe and release a print edition mm-hmm. that was just a special Fringe review edition. So that's kind of how I started, um, you know, seeing eight to ten shows in the first three days each, and then, yeah, and then really trying to slam out all of those reviews right after each show, because mm-hmm. if they started piling up man oh that was bad yeah Yeah, because the deadline was usually from the opening thursday to sunday uh reviewing like 200 plus shows getting those into paul matwachuk who was the arts editor at c uh, C at the time Mm -hmm. uh yeah and then having him go through all the layout and getting that print issue out onto the stands for that hot pickup monday morning (laughs) yeah 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 and paul you were working at the uh Sort of the rival, the, the rival paper, uh, View Weekly at yeah. the time. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what fringe season was like at View? Sure, yeah. Oh, man, what a glorious time when there were two alt-weeklies that both had dedicated um, space and coverage of, of all the things. Anyway, um, yeah, so I started as a freelancer for View in 2008 um, on Thursday. Hello, Dorothy. There's a dog in this room, uh, and it's great. Uh, <laughs> uh, unseen by everyone on the podcast. Um, yeah, so I started there, and so when Fringe season rolled around, um, because I'd been doing theater coverage, uh, my editor at the time, David Barry, uh, sort of enlisted me to to do some reviewing. And when I started, we were trying to um, see it already had the one up because they had that print edition, and we weren't doing that. And so the C print edition would sort of hit uh, the streets before uh, Views Thursday edition. Um, meaning sort of, you know, in, in the race to get everything, you know, to be more uh, effective uh, at being a, a vehicle of criticism and discussion in the city. Uh, it was sort of a race. But when I started, the year I started, they views started to move online. We started to put reviews online first as they were coming in 
um, to sort of try and race against that that right. print edition, so we could get some some word out uh, a little early, which is sort of the model that uh, more and more uh, View and and the Journal and other other papers have adopted now. How has fringe coverage sort of changed, or how have you seen it sort of change um, since those sort of I don't know if they were technically glory days. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that they were uh, our glory days. They were our glory days. I think that uh, particularly the print industry <laughs> was on a downward. Um, you know, trajectory even mm -hmm. at that time. Um, but since those days, uh, how has the coverage landscape uh, sort of changed? I think just the nature of the fringe itself has changed so much in the last like seven or eight years to sure, yeah. the, um, the, you know, insane amount of BYOVs and um, so many shows happening all over the city. I think it's very hard to to get that like every single show reviewed status anymore that or like that milestone to actually hit that mm -hmm. um even by the end of the fringe there's stuff that like doesn't get reviewed at all yeah. um and maybe rightfully so <laughs> um but i think that um what's yeah as print has sort of gone l less and less there's more focus on online stuff i find that audiences are being called to review things themselves so mm -hmm. you know i think it is still run by view the edmonton fringe.ca or whatever right, yeah. um people can people review um their own like the shows they've seen so it's not really um you know you're sort of like stalwart arts journalists who get to see everything anymore um it's it's yeah there there's, there's a lot more public way in i think you say stalwart arts journalists like that job still exists like, like, um, yeah. in a lot of Cause ways. Because it, it pays. Because like. it pays. Yeah, I think um, uh, one thing that I guess I've noticed is not only, yeah, journalism is sort of truncated, um, and so there are more journalists, blah, blah, blah. Um, but uh, there's also the fringe has grown. I think when I started, it was, you know, hovering around 190 shows, but it really over the next few years started to – uh, creep up and be 200 and then 210 and then uh, I think this year there's close to 230 not quite but around there so so there is more and more and sometimes yeah BYOVs became a really big thing bring your own venue where you could book your own venue that isn't part of the fringe lottery and so people could do shows downtown for a while they were trying to do shows on Alberta Avenue on 118th and uh, that were part of the fringe mm -hmm. um so even the that's sort of I think shrunk back a bit. There's usually one or two shows that happen a ways off of site, but for the most part, um, yeah, it still tries to be sort of part of that Strathcona core. Um, yeah, but it's uh, yeah I think we were also sort of uh, the number of people then grows, and it does even if this were the glory days of our paid arts journalism uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, I think I think it would still be uh, a daunting beast today, just because there's still so much there's much more more and more people are taking advantage of the byob system or the lottery to just do do the fringe and be involved yeah i find that um now with the way byobs works every artist like every theater artist in edmonton is working at the fringe now mm -hmm. it used to be that with the lottery system some people wouldn't make it in they'd get a break you know they'd be or they would do other fringes too um but now no matter what you are going to see everyone who works in Edmonton theater in on stage at the fringe if whether we you know whether they got through the lottery or not mm -hmm. um like there's large venues that are curated um and they essentially still give everyone a job I don't know how much people generally make during the fringe uh, uh like on the circuit right. maybe Paul you have a little better idea uh, of what a performer <laughs> makes <laughs> sure. I mean it, so much of it depends on um 
the you know their show how many people are involved you know whether there's a, a production company backing it and sort of fronting costs or if they have to eat all costs up front you know are they part of a touring circuit can they take the same work to five or six fringes and then maybe um, make more money off that one work rather than you know uh, just doing one fringe or doing different pieces at different fringes and sort of hoping that uh, momentum builds and people are reading the buzz from Winnipeg and other cities mm-hmm. as they come in. How do reviews factor into the success of shows? Like how important is, uh, you know, that coveted four or five or zero right, <laughs> star right, review? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> everyone wants to see the train wreck too. <laughs> uh, like as a French performer, Paul, oh, uh, oh, like yeah. how does that factor into the, the success of like in your ticket sales? Sure. I think it, it certainly does, especially if you're in a city you don't know. So I, I haven't done the circuit, um, but I've been to Winnipeg with a, with a show and it was a place we hadn't been before. And we got like pretty good reviews, and they they definitely helped at least uh, at least at the the start. Um, yeah, I think like four and five stars will sell. Um, certainly, will move tickets, and anything less than that, unless we get down to zero um, or really low, like probably probably won't. You'll have to do more hand billing or or work on yourself to try and find those those audiences, or hope that you know you have a concept that really appeals to people right off the get go. Um, one thing we struggled with was our, our show is sort of like a, has a hard um, elevator pitch. It's not it's not easy to sort of describe. And so whereas like uh, One Man Lord of the Rings is like a very simple and like as soon as it's said, you probably know whether or not you want to go see it. Um, yeah. And so I think I think reviews do have power uh, more so today. Mm, I don't know. I think. I think some like there was a time when like the five star Edmonton Journal review meant you were done, like you were made. You were sold out for the rest of the run. Yeah, you know, yeah. I think one thing that's interesting during the fringe um, is that the audience is really different than your standard mm-hmm. theater audience. You're, you know, your standard ten to twenty thousand people in Edmonton who actually go and pay for tickets at theaters throughout the year. Thank you. Um, woo! Uh, the fringe audience is really different. They often don't um, have as much. Um, you know, kind of like knowledge or, or awareness about what they want to see. Um, so, you know, reading a show description uh, sometimes is not enough. They want someone to like judge it. <laughs> right. It's like, it's enough to be like sometimes hand billing to be like, oh, we got four stars is like suddenly you can see people's eyes be like, oh, cool. Someone mm-hmm. said you're good. Um, and they're more willing to take a chance on that. Right, so um, maybe let's talk about those someones who say something is good, like the actual reviewers and the critics. Mm-hmm. Um, so during uh, your time as, a, as the arts editor at View, because sure, uh, yeah. you were a freelancer, or not a freelancer, but you were on, on staff in 2008 and then took over David Barry's mm-hmm. position uh, eventually yeah. and then were managing uh, and editing the Fringe coverage. Right, so I did that. I did about six fringes as the arts editor, which was sort of my responsibility to make sure we saw everything and we found writers and this and that. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, finding writers and uh, what sort of your freelance uh, stable sort of uh, is comprised of um, sure. maybe versus your your regular freelancers that will be writing uh, actual art stories uh, outside of the fringe for you? Uh, right. I mean, I feel like I always tried to curate it as much as as much as was possible. Um, I, I don't think I ever did an open call just for like, who wants to review the fringe? Um I would definitely sort of be like keeping track of writers throughout the years. I would look at other papers um, that weren't already doing Friends coverage and be like, hmm, you seem like a knowledgeable person about the arts. You should come do this for me. Um, Yeah, and so it would sort of start there. It would also start with who are my regular arts writers. I would typically probably have like two or three theater writers besides myself throughout the year. 
Um, and then there were other people at View, other editors or people who had either done The Fringe a few times before or written theater stories, maybe not regularly, but, you know, had an enjoyment for the art form and sort of a knowledge about the art form. Um, and then I guess I would also like, I will probably get into this a little later down the road, but I would also have a bit of a back and forth while reviews were coming in, even though they were coming in, it wasn't just like, put it online, check for typos and call it a day. Like there was right. a bit of a dialogue with writers as well. You uh, I would also send out a guide on like, this is what, this is what it is to review the fringe. This is what a five-star review should mean. This is what a one-star review should mean. Don't be mean was something I would consistently say. <laughs> Don't, be mean. Don't be mean. Sometimes you have to remind um but i do remember um there's you know the the star system has always kind of been something that like as as someone who really loves and enjoys theater i've always felt that the star system was a little bit cheap cheap and awful we're gonna Um, get to that (laughs) a little bit later okay (laughs) um but going back to who are actually reviewing fringe shows um now with view and c i was trying to find folks that um you know had a little bit of arts writing chops Mm -hmm. to do that uh, but that doesn't always happen, particularly at uh, some of the other publications in town or TV stations in town, say like Global or uh, The Journal, where they'll have David Staples, the columnist, uh, who really does not have much of a arts writing background, go and start watching Fringe shows mm-hmm. and then um, writing an opinion about them. So I, I guess my question, uh, or one of the questions here is, is it fair to expect that uh, fringe reviewers from like official publications are going to be arts writers and have that experience? I don't. I don't think that's a necessary thing because I don't think that the fringe audience is that way either. Um, I think that you know the fringe is for um, you know people to try something new. You know, and I think that that it's fine to have a writer go in who has no knowledge of theater. <laughs> My favorite thing is whenever they send in like those sort of like um, like you know, good old columnists from the journal like Nick Lees or, like you said, David Staples in there just kind of like sit down and watch an improv show. And they're like, I don't really like improv that much, first line of the review. (laughs) But, you know, and then they go into the... And so it just kind of like it feels like they even know they have to qualify themselves a little bit, Um, which I don't, you know... I mean, it's, it's kind of weird out there, you know, like the fringe reviewer of all time, Liz Nichols now, she's reviewing things in a totally different way on her blog. Um, and I think in years past, she's always gone to like uh, other fringes to try and like get ahead of the review cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'd still, I would still like seek those folks out because I re- I trust those voices. Um, yeah, well, trusting trustworthy voices, I think is important. So it'd be like, well, why isn't there just like a fringe Yelp? Um, and why does that, uh, why is, can you imagine? (laughs) Well, you know, but like, why, why is that not as good as, uh, you know, making sure that you have a highly curated lineup of reviewers going out for you if you are an editor and covering something? It exists in Winnipeg. There's a thing called the Jenny Review, which was once a publication, but is now online. And it's sort of like, you can sign up to be a, a Jenny reviewer and it's sort of like whoever, and they can leave multiple reviews of one show. They can, they just try and like, whatever you see, you can write about uh, I think they give some guidelines of what they're looking for, but uh, they do have that thing that's basically a, a Yelp. I don't think they use stars, um, but it is if you if we all went and saw the same show as sort of independent people who all wanted to be Jenny reviewers, we could all uh, leave our own reviews, and so people could browse three different reviews of the same show. Um, right. So is it sort of like a Rotten Tomatoes where you'll get like a, a an average. I don't think they have the technology for that, but you can sort of scan for yourself, I think. 
Um, but yeah, I think with what Fonda was saying is something I thought about a lot was sort of like on one hand, yeah, there are people who don't typically cover art stuff and that can sometimes be be a challenge and very frustrating for, for writers. Although, sorry, frustrating for artists, although sometimes they would also luck out. Someone would be like, this is an amazing show, five stars. And then I'd go see it and I'd be like, we gave that what? <laughs> we gave that five stars? Um, so sometimes it worked sort of the other way as well as mm -hmm. where someone who in theory doesn't have that knowledge ends up giving a show a boost um, that it wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Um, but it is, it's an interesting thing because I think more than ever the fringe is where um, like critics still have economic power. Like I think in, in Edmonton and, and cities like, like Edmonton, like Winnipeg, where there is sort of a robust art scene, uh, we like criticism if, is rarely um, make or break. It's sort of like we're, it's opening the discussion for the people who are already the usual theater going public. And maybe if something's like really stellar, yes, it's gonna bring new people in, or if it's, you know, Beauty and the Beast on stage, that's gonna appeal to a different audience. But uh, The Fringe is a place where, yeah, if you get a five-star review, um, it will make an economic difference you can see versus, you know, uh, even a three-star review. Uh, which is like, ah, no movement in my ticket sales. Oh, the dreaded three-star review, <laughs> where it just like means sort of like, you know, I think as a reviewer, when I give something three stars, I'm like, yeah, that was a fairly good show, you know, like solid mm -hmm. solid writing, solid performance, what have you. Um, did it super impress me? Maybe not, but, you know, it's like, it's better than two and a half, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, and I want to get into star reviews um, and really get into star reviews in, right. in a second here. Um, but before we get to that, um, just sort of in, we're talking about like how the reviews impact the uh, the artists, mm -hmm. um, but maybe we can just dissect a little bit about who are Fringe Reviews for right. exactly? And how do you as a writer and also when you're editing these reviews um, balance um, the how these reviews are written and how they reach the the, the page uh, for those different audiences. Sure, yeah. Go for it. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I mean, ultimately, they're for the audience. Uh, part of that audience is the artists, but um, but it is about sort of having that conversation. And at the fringe, people are looking at reviews to say, what should I go see? Um, when there's so much choice, when there's 230 shows in 11 days, when it's physically impossible to see everything that's happening at the Fringe, people are looking for some way to sort of cut down the number of shows they're considering. Um, and so I think, uh, yeah, I think it's just something to be mindful of, that, that the reviews ultimately are for the audience and, you know, the people giving them are trying to tell an audience, this is what you're going to see. Like, the, for me, the three, like, tenements of, of reviewing are like, what were the artists trying to do? Did they succeed? And was it worth it? So yeah, maybe they do like sort of a sloppy comedy, but the sloppiness adds to the charm. Great. Uh, maybe it is four stars, whereas um, someone else might have been like, oh, they you know, kept missing cues and laughing. But you know, whether or not you felt engaged or not is, is a different story. Yeah. I think that's sort of also where the who the reviewer is does kind of come into it. Like I know that I hardly ever give five stars. Um, and then I know there are critics out there who give lots of five stars sure, because yeah. they don't know what four or three means, you know, or the difference between three and four. Um, so, you know, it really, I, I think, I feel for the performers in some way in that, yeah, like sometimes you can get a reviewer who like, um, 
I don't know. Just doesn't get it. Do, yes. Doesn't get it, yeah, or doesn't care for the content. Um, I know that when I see something that is sexist or, you know, not well thought out, um, but everyone else seems to find it really funny, I, I don't... <laughs> I, I don't really, you know, um, I don't I don't give ratings based on what I think the rest of the audience is liking. I give ratings based on what how I respond to it. Right. Um, I just a quick anecdote that sort of ties into that. Um, I remember one year I got a call at like one in the morning from a writer who just come out of like a midnight show. Uh, and they were like, I just saw this show. I I hated it and there was like five to ten walkouts but most of the audience who stayed gave it a standing ovation like what do I do mm -hmm. <laughs> and how do I quantify that in a review and uh, the conversation we sort of had led us to sort of talk about like well you can't deny what your own response was you also shouldn't ignore that it got a huge response from the audience so I think you need to mention that you need to talk about the fact that there was this disparity between your own response and the people who were there. Mm -hmm. um, but you can't forget one or the other of those things. If there's a huge reaction in the audience and you're not feeling it, both of those things are genuine. Both of those things are valid and I think are like a good discussion to have as like the tension between those of like, why did this show get um, a standing out from these people but some people left and I w wanted to be one of them, you know? Yeah, well, which is why the star rating is still, I know we're going to talk more about mm -hmm. it, but it's inherently unfair. Mm -hmm. um, because I'm going to give that show, you know, like two stars, and some of those audience members would definitely have given it five, you know? Unfair or un inaccurate, ultimately. Well, yeah, yeah like yeah. it's, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, sorry. <laughs> it's, it's undemocratic. But, <laughs> sure, okay, yeah. well, here's a question then. Like, when... When I'm approaching Fringe Reviews, um, yeah, one of the questions is, what is this show trying to be? Mm -hmm. And then how close to the mark does it actually reach uh, to hit that? And in a Fringe Review also saying that all in 100 words. In 100 words, words or less. yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I've always felt that, um, you know, professional critics, um, let's just say music critics, for example, mm -hmm. should be able to go and review a Britney Spears concert just as well as they can go review, like, an Iron Maiden concert. Hell yeah. Regardless of their personal preference of music. Honestly, is... not that much different. Like, well, a lot of spectacle, know... it's just, like, the tone and the mood that's different. Sure, but, um, you know... Uh, regardless of their personal taste, like how much does your personal taste actually belong in a fringe review? I think it has to be there to be true to the fact that you are writing about this thing. Uh, and I, I remember chatting with sort of fringe goers about other just reviews and that I forget we, we started talking uh, in like a line as you do at the fringe. And they were like, oh, well, we know this person who reviews the fringe regularly we have totally opposing opinions to them. So if they give something like a bad review, chances are we'll love it. Um, and they just sort of took that with that particular grain of salt whenever they would read those reviews. It's like, yeah, we disagree. So it's opposite world. What you say is bad, I'll probably say is good and I'll, I'll do that. So yeah, I think there is room for that. And I think if you, you can't totally detach yourself, um, but I think you also need to be aware of, yeah, your own biases and prejudices as you're going into a show and be able to check those and be like, okay, I, I didn't like that or I had issues with these things, but here's what it also did well. Um, and finding the balance of, of tone in how you say those things together is, is part, of, part of the work, part of the craft. Yeah, and I mean, I think I'll be really honest and say there are some things that I have a really hard time checking. Sure. Like if I know that someone is underprepared or if they're, you know, if, if, they're, if they're actually making statements that I, you know, um, 
ethically don't care for. Sure, yeah. Um, there, yeah, there are certain things where I'm just kind of like, there's there's a line that I can draw and say, like, you know, you know what, I didn't feel like this, but they did this well, you know, like the costumes were great. I don't know. <laughs> oh, how often are your reviews written in the first person? How often does I show up in them? I always took it as like, I always tried to, I, haha, uh, always tried to think of it as, it was sort of implied that it was your voice. Um, you don't need to put it in um, because it's like, we already understand if you say this was bad, um, you that's a person saying that rather than the universal. But some people would disagree on, on that in writing as well. Mm -hmm. I think in written reviews, I really try to avoid the I. Um, but I mean, here when we review things on, I don't get it. I use I all the time sure, just yeah. because you know that it's me speaking. <laughs> yeah, 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 I agree. And in, in sort of the written form, I think it should, it's sort of implied and in other forms, it's mm -hmm. a bit less. I think there's room for it sometimes. Some of the, like the best, uh, you know, like profile writings and things like that, that I've, that I've really liked it, even in like the New York times lately, all uh, are making more and more use of the eye. I think that that's what, um, you know, <laughs> heaven forbid the yelp and everything the yelp generation has has done for reviewing is that they do want to know that there's a real person behind it um and i think that that does help humanize things when you are trying to like it is actually very hard to write a negative review um because you know that people are working hard on the on the shows i don't yeah. want artists to not make money or to not make it you know mm -hmm. um but so though so it's actually kind of heartbreaking sometimes when you have to say this just didn't hit the mark um, yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> all right. You guys really want to talk about star reviews. Yep. So we're going to get there. But first, an ad. This episode of I Don't Get It is brought to you by ATB and the Branch for Arts and Culture. Creative minds need creative banking. That's why ATB created the Branch for Arts and Culture, a branch that understands artists don't live by the rules or standard paychecks. So you can be creative and not have to worry about your checking account. It's a creative space for creative types, and just one more way, ATB will always be more than a bank. Find out more about ATB's branch for arts and culture at atb.com slash the branch. All right. Star yeah. reviews. Here we go. Sure. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a funny thing. Uh, I guess I'll start by saying uh, one of the last things I did at View with the last Fringe I covered was write a big story on star reviews and try to look at it from talk to artists I talk to the fringe I talk to just fringe goers who don't have any connection to the arts about what their purpose is and used a bit of I voice talked about uh, why we use them and you know for context uh, view weekly at the time didn't use star ratings uh, for theater at any other time of the year same with the journal Liz Nichols would never use star ratings for for theater um, during the year but only during the fringe does it mm -hmm. sort of pop up uh, and thinking about why and, and why it is, again, when we're trying to differentiate all of these 200-some shows, why this became sort of the default um, way of doing that. Yeah. Um, opinion on the Star Review? I, I feel very uncomfortable about it. It's really hard for me to assign a numerical value to something that I think, you know— is more complex than that usually. Mm -hmm. Not to say all fringe shows are complex. Some fringe shows it's very easy to give like that three stars. Be like, you made a show, good for you. You know. Uh, well, do publications like are they obligated to run star reviews at the fringe? Uh, so if a publication was not to do that, uh, do you think that their readership would dip and they might not be considered as much of a, you know, an authority on uh, on the scene and stuff that's going on? I think so. I think that the readership during the Fringe is looking for those star ratings. Maybe they do read past them, 
Um, but a great majority, I think, of, of readers are looking for like a quick hit. They're just kind of like, it's two o'clock on Tuesday. What's coming up next? Which has the best review or which has the worst? Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes people will seek out those, you know, zero and one stars just for fun. Yeah. But yeah, I think um, I think they serve uh, and they serve a certain audience. There are the audience who are going to look at actors or look at, uh, you know, roles they like or stories they find interesting. But there are people who just want to see, quote, a good show. There are fringe artists who talk about uh, getting a five-star review or getting lots of five-star reviews and um, how the audience who shows up is a little different. Like they want to be impressed rather than they're like here to maybe necessarily engage as freely with your art. They sort of sit down arms folded and are like, all right, you got five stars in this and this. Get into it. Show, show me. me. Show me the good. <laughs> um, but I think I think if, uh, if uh, a publication was to remove star ratings, um, they would still need to have some sort of way of saying like this is the this is these are the best shows. This is like our picks or our critics' choice or our, edic- our editors' picks or or however you want to frame that. Um, because there are people who are there is an audience who's looking for shows that are quote a cut above whatever that means. Um, and there are those who are more free to to jump around and and just see. Yeah. Um, can we talk a little bit about? Um, Let's break down the star count. So, um, you know, from zero to five, what does each star actually uh, mean in the eyes of you as a reviewer, uh, maybe contrasted to uh, the artists and the actual audience reading the review? I think Paul should answer this because he was the one who implemented the no half star rule at View. Yeah, so, <laughs> so each star definitely has a meaning, I think. Well, and let's just provide some context to that. So C and View were rival alt weekly papers, and mm-hmm. uh, C and View for a while would allow reviewers to give half stars. Um, I don't think quarter stars was ever a thing, but no, at I least half. And <laughs> yeah, the journal is almost going there, to be honest. Just oh, saying. No. Yeah, and so uh, I can't remember exactly which year it was but view suddenly was like no half stars mm-hmm. that Make- was that wasn't me it, it happened before me i was I also it was you. no it happened i think just before me oh. um but for for me effort in this guide i would send out about reviewing the fringe i i did try and break down what each star should mean so starting at the top uh you know a five star was like a spectacular thing something you're probably gonna think about uh, months from now not only did it sort of uh, successfully achieve what it set out to do, but it sort of um, heightened that. It gave you something else. It made you think or feel a little more than just simply, uh, oh, this was a f- very funny comedy. Maybe it was a very funny comedy that twisted and and also gave you this incredible burst of heart uh, or, or emotion or depth or it's a drama where not only was it, you know, theatrically well pulled off, you know, the acting was a cut above and the message was timely and relevant. Um, you know, the five stars is is like this is something you'll be thinking about for for months. This will be probably one of the best things you see all year, not just at the fringe. And then a four star would be a, a great show, uh, a comedy that nails it. Uh, you know, a drama that nails it. Things that are really good or have a really cool premise and they pull it off, or a cool concept and it's successful and and you know you're pleasantly surprised and enjoying it. It's something that yeah feels like a cut above. Um, that even if even if maybe it isn't your cup of tea, you would still be able to say like, oh, that's this, that, and the other thing are really cool, and I can get into that. Uh, then a three star, the uh, the review I got more complaints about, and my time as an editor at View than any other review, is kind of like it is also a, a tricky one because as we were sort of saying, like it as Fonda mentioned, it's like an undemocratic or maybe inaccurate because a three star can mean a lot of things. It can mean Yep, you did a very good, you successfully pulled off a 
a kind of dated show that maybe doesn't feel as true today um, or doesn't um, as affecting today. The message is sort of wane. There's something we sort of be like, yeah, of course, we've moved on. Like the cultural conversation has moved on from here, but you're still trotting this thing out. Uh, or uh, maybe it is something that takes a lot of risks but doesn't succeed in actually pulling those off. Um, it's sort of like, uh, you know, you get pulled out of it constantly because of script or performance or, or these sorts of things that don't quite connect. Um, See, I think that three stars is actually a fairly good review. Mm -hmm. Like it's a it's a it's a po it's a positive um, mark on it. When you know, if five is supposed to change your life, <laughs> um, four is very good, and three is like pretty good. Yeah. You know, like I do, I think that um, I I probably gave the most three stars sure, um, yeah. of all all reviews. Um, and that's I think you know three stars is actually like in when you're seeing like competing with two hundred other shows. To fall on that three, which is what, like the, you know, 60th percentile, sure, 66th yeah, yeah. percentile, yeah. Um, that's pretty good. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I, I agree. Um, yeah. And I think uh, the trick is it doesn't sell tickets the same way a, a four or a five star does. So it feels like, you know, failure in that way, I think, or or feels like, oh, this is going to be harder work to get butts in seats. But yeah, it's sort of like, it's good. Because, three well, is not everyone thinks the way Fonda thinks sure, about yeah. three stars. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, and then slipping down a little, like two stars is like ah, yeah. Now the errors are becoming a bit more glaring, or errors is a is a bad word for it. But some of the like the issues, maybe the performances are like pretty lacking. Maybe the direction is pretty static. You know, maybe it is just someone standing for for an hour, and you're like, okay, uh, maybe the script isn't that great. Uh, or the point it's trying to make is pretty blasé or, you know, the comedy doesn't land. Um, and then a one star is like, ooh, this is actively not, like, a lot of things fucked up. Actively. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they it's, tried real hard to. Yeah. Or like, yeah. oh, you're doing yeah. something that's, like, very un uncomfortable and not with a payoff, you know, mm. or... Or yeah, like nobody was ready to do this show, yet you put it on anyways. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and then the the zero star is like, oh, this is actually a train wreck. Like, above and beyond, like, oh, I didn't like this thing. It's like on a functional level, this show failed. <laughs> there are things that were just so problematic, or so under rehearsed, or so unthought through, um, that uh, that that's like maybe it's entertaining in the way that the room is entertaining where it's like so wow you just kind of like you want to look at it you want to <laughs> see this thing happen it's just like it's not really a show but i can't stop watching whatever's happening up there <laughs> and there is sort of like word of like the zero star review can sell tickets because people are intrigued by like what's so bad it gets nothing it gets a bomb um so i've so i've heard but that's so that's sort of the way i would try and frame it for people um and yeah like the three is like the tricky one because it can be so many things and it and not even bad like again depending on your interests or or who you are you might that might be a four or a five to you mm -hmm. yeah i mean i'd rather go see something that is three that sort of just kind of like you know yeah that by you know someone like a voice that i trust again you know mm -hmm. if, a, if a reviewer that i know has said this is a solid three-star show i'd be like oh I'll give it a try. Um, I don't like to see people fail that much, even right. though they learn a lot from failing. I mm -hmm. learn a lot from failing too. Um, but I think that um, I, I would still prefer to go see something that um, worked a little bit, that clicked better than than you know watching someone actively um, in pain yeah, <laughs> in yeah. some kind of torment on stage. Um, 
I mean, the the zero star is interesting because I've always tried never to give one. If someone does the work and gets their show up on the stage, I think that's worth a star usually. Um, and But there was the one time, the one time I remember I called you, Paul, and I was like, I don't know what to do. He just didn't. He just didn't finish the show. <laughs> I, I was like, is it a zero? I think he's going to try again. But that's after the Monday deadline. So, right. yeah, it was yeah. that was, I think, the one time that I was like, should I give a zero? Today? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a tricky thing. It's a tricky thing. And yeah, like how did that pan out? Um, I think I ended up going to see it because the he like canceled a show or two in the run but kept it going. So it was like, all right, well, if you ask to see everything, even though it's like past our deadline, I'm going to go see the show. Uh, and, you know, it was just like he read it off an iPad. He did then frame it as like a workshop run off the top. He sort of talked about what had happened, which I appreciated. But like, yeah, it was it was not it was not there. It was like a lot of work that uh, still needed to be done and yeah. sort of all of the elements. And how many stars? Uh, I did give it zero in the nicest right. way possible, but it was like an unfinished show. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and in, in that way, I, you got me out of having to give a zero star, which was great. So I still think I have a record for not giving any zeros. You go too easy um, on her, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I didn't get my 10 bucks for that review either. So. I got that 10 bucks. <laughs> yes, the dozens of The dozens of dollars. The dozens <laughs> that are to be made. Uh, so... Since uh, there's like the star review and then the, like, the actual copy um, mm -hmm. that in the alt weekly world is usually about 100, 150 words. Um, when a writer files you a story where the stars don't actually match the uh, the actual review and the criticism uh, that you know takes some different kind of thought and, and execution to get onto the page. Uh, how do you reconcile that? Like, um, can you maybe just walk us through that sort of process? Sure. And that happened a lot, especially with that, like, three to four mm -hmm. star sort of thing. So when that would come in, we would always have someone who wasn't seeing shows. Their job was just to edit as stuff came in. It was always one of the other editors um, or me if I could, if I had the mornings or, or time to do that. Um, and so I would send it back to the writer and say, hey, uh, we noticed that uh, this star rating doesn't seem to match up with what you've written. Here's why I think that. Um, would you like to adjust the star rating? Or would you like to, if you really set on this being a four star or a three star, would you like to reword it and sort of address some of these things? And that slowed down some of our, our coverage, certainly, but I think it made it better and had like that fail safe of, because that's always one of the frustrations at the Fringe for Artists is when like, a review is beautifully written, three stars. And you're like, but mm. you didn't say what was up with it. You didn't say why it didn't get a three star or a four star or whatever. Um, yeah, so it's sort of like trying to alleviate that gap was definitely something we kept in mind. I feel like that was where the two star and the one star writing got really challenging um, is because you're you're trying to find something good mm -hmm. to say, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, because, yeah, I mean, as much as the reviews are for the audience, um, the artists can use them for, you know, like their own promotion and grants and stuff like that. So if you say like, you, you know, you point out the one or two things that were really worked, um, but also in the context of like, you know, the rest of the mess. Sure. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that that's kind of where it was really hard to write, like, you know, just like a scathing one star, you mm -hmm. know. Yeah, I think as a reviewer in general, the only reviews I've ever really regretted were ones that I wrote when I was young and was like snarky or mean about it. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, oh, that didn't serve anyone's purpose. Like, it's better just to like be real and like actually say like, rather than couching it in snark, just sort of be like, here's why this thing didn't work for me um, and not be mean about it. Because there are real people reading these. And at the Fringe, again, it can make 
an economic difference mm -hmm. for an artist, especially those who are touring from city to city. Um, you know, where it's like, oh, is this going to be a, a fringe where we sell a lot of tickets or not? And that's not my job to sell tickets as a critic, but it is like I should be mindful of, respectful, I guess, of, of the fact that people are trying to uh, make a living and have put a lot into this art and, and deserve to be treated as such. Yeah, I think my one of my favorite um, instances of where the stars did not match the uh, the actual copy was a review of Off Book, the improvised musical last year, where I believe the the line in the review was invariably a crapshoot, four stars. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah. Uh, Save that for your grant applications. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So um, uh, we won't say who the writer was uh no one in this room but um <laughs> but it, it's sort of just a, those weird instances where that will sometimes actually slip through and mm. actually be printed uh and it's like hmm this is weird uh and you know who was editing that yeah, that review yeah. at the time Cause, right just because it's this massive thing like um and it's 200 some shows and you're all going fast and you're seeing a lot of shows a day and you're tired and you're hungry and when you see a great show it's awesome and when you're 10 minutes into a show that you're pretty sure is gonna be bad, you're like, God, why? Um, that doesn't mean there shouldn't be editorial uh, control and editorial um, reasoning, I guess, for lack of a better term. <laughs> yeah, when you're stuck in that show, five, six minutes in, you're like, oh, this isn't, this is not going well. And then you start writing the review in your head as it's happening mm -hmm. in real time. <laughs> yeah, mine starts wandering to air conditioning why is there no air conditioning yeah, in here yeah. either yeah well because it's kind of like a marathon i used to say you know when we tried to put it out all in those first three days of the fringe like and you're seeing you know those eight to ten shows a day yeah or more you, like 13 you 14 have, sometimes like you have about 15 minutes between you know like running from venue to venue to like either grab a beer or write a review or both and like, people were machines i think i maxed out at six a day like and yes i was also doing editing stuff but it was like that is that is a lot. I did have one day, one Friday, the first Friday, I remember I did 10 shows in one day once and I was just like the the that poor last show of that day because I was just out of it. Um, but I had to start reviewing at noon again on Saturday. So I was just like, I got to get this in before bed because it's just not, you know. So, yeah, that was that was probably one of the bad ones, actually. That yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I brought up Off Book the Musical, uh, and just sort of full disclosure, uh, both Paul and I work for Rapid Fire Theatre in various capacities, yep. um, but we also um, have a little bit of insight into um, improv as a tricky format to actually review uh, at the Fringe, and Rapid Fire usually has a bunch of shows uh, there. Um, so maybe, uh, and this will probably be, we're almost getting close to time here, um, our last little uh, section is, how do you tackle uh, reviewing shows that are some of those more notoriously tricky formats? Uh, and maybe we'll start with improv, and then we'll get to chat with Fonda about uh, contemporary dance shows. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so, Paul, um, how does how should one, um, in your opinion, uh, approach reviewing improv? Yeah, it's a it's a trick, and like I think in Winnipeg, which is on my mind because that fringe just happened, and I sort of follow reviews as they go along. I think some of the the papers out there that that cover the fringe have sort of like generally don't anymore. They just sort of see improv as improv, and they like uh, tip their caps and don't review it, uh, which I disagree with because I think I think you can see skill in improv. You can definitely know our people. Like basically, the it comes down to for me like. It gets no forgiveness because you're making it up. 
if it's really impressive and they're making it up, that's great, but they still have to be telling a compelling story. They still have to be making you, you know, laugh, depending on what the, the style of the show is. Um, you still have to feel, as an audience, you're getting a good show. Um, it doesn't have to be, again, yeah, there's a certain amount of forgiveness, I think, that gets built in. And when people do review improv, often it gets a bit of forgiveness because it's like, ah, invariably, it's a crapshoot. Uh, as they say, <laughs> but I think it's not invariably a crapshoot because I think you can see the skills on display and consistency is something that uh, of skill can still come through in improv. And yeah, sometimes people who are great will bomb a show, um, but I, I think it's generally you can see the talent on display when it's happening. Uh, and if you're having a good show, it's a good show. And if you're making excuses because it's improv, it's kind of like, well, doy. Yeah. I think one time I reviewed an improv show and I felt like I was reviewing the audience more than I was the improvisers because the suggestions from the audience were so terrible Aye. and just like and the the I remember the performers were handling it really well but it just it was a it was a really late night one of the first days you know like very like handful of audience it's right all poop and sex yeah and it's right? all it's all just like really awful suggestions that like the improvisers couldn't do anything you know unique or fun with um so yeah i was just kind of like they did really well i hate people (laughs) (laughs) which is like a dimension to keep in mind with improv as well uh depending on how engaging or how how much the show is actually engaging with the audience are they getting lots of suggestions is it like one and go are they interacting with the audience more directly are they bringing them up blah 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 other things to keep in mind totally great all right Another notorious format uh, <laughs> to review uh, is contemporary dance. Uh, so <laughs> sometimes a fringe reviewer might not have even much theater uh, experience. Uh, and even sending seasoned theater uh, writers into a dance um, show can also be very tricky for, you know, the best in the biz. <laughs> so how how... How should someone approach actually reviewing contemporary dance who it might even be their very first contemporary dance show that they've ever seen? I was just going to say that that conceit, that discrepancy was the basis of this podcast in in the beginning. Yeah. Um, Aside from starting a podcast uh, specifically to go see. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So what I like to do when I see dance is really just kind of you know let it happen i think that a lot of times people will sit and try and find the story or what it's about but i find the best thing to do is really just you know kind of kind of let go some if you if you smoke a little bit of pot before your first contemporary dance show i'm gonna say it'll probably enjoy it more (laughs) um because you just kind of have to let go of your sort of you know westernized need for narrative and for, um, you know, in some ways, structure. Um, I'm, I don't think that contemporary dance doesn't have those things, but sometimes they're harder to see if you're not really familiar with it. Um, when I sit down and watch a dance show, I like to think about how all of the parts fit together from what the movers are doing to what the lighting is doing, um, what costuming they're wearing, you know, like how the music fits in. Sometimes there's also a musician on stage. Um, so one, how it all fits together. To how I actually emotionally respond to it, because I think the beauty of watching physical performance is that you don't have to 
um, you know, uh, hear words to see feeling. I think that you can actually just try and watch a body and be like, does that look uncomfortable? Does that look really graceful and beautiful? You know, how does it make you respond? Um, and so I think that you can gauge a show that way as well. Um, you know, one of the most successful fringe shows that was a dance show in the last few years was one of the Toy Guns shows. And, um, you know, it's it's physical theater and they have um, there's there's not really a, like a narrative arc necessarily, but they have little vignettes that are kind of little stories um, and characters. So, you know, in that way, I think that they found that middle ground of just something like really high energy and fun and funny. Um, whereas, you know, yes, sometimes a lot more of the ideas that you see in a dance or a movement show are a little bit more heady. Um, you kind of have to immerse yourself in it a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I've always enjoyed maybe because I have a dance background, but I, I've always enjoyed watching bodies move in space. And I think that that's sort of just, you know, you go to the ballet and you don't really think about, you know, um, the story really because often often the story is very obvious but like you're watching beauty you know you're watching the, f the human form do some pretty amazing things and you in contemporary dance even if they're not doing something amazing maybe it makes you feel a certain way or think about something think about an image they're creating with their body um and yeah in in that way i think it's a great challenge for not only um an audience member to kind of open their mind a little bit and let go of that need for narrative um but also to just um as a writer to try and describe what it was like to watch a show like that words like trafical and <laughs> giraffical episode one call back oh, to episode yeah. one yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll back around my neck um yeah yeah i would uh you know i would the only thing i would add is just i in in doing this and seeing more contemporary dance and all of those and making that sort of transition from theater to opening opening my mind to to dance uh so much of it was yeah just like uh, letting myself be okay with watching how people like make an emotional arc in a way that isn't the way I'm used to, where it isn't necessarily with words, but they're still telling a story of emotion or mood and just sort of dialing into that. What are they trying to convey um, emotionally or with mood in, in this moment or this scene uh, or this piece? Uh, that seems to come through for me. Does that sound like I've learned something in this I podcast? Think, Paul, I think you've learned a lot. I've learned a lot, too. We've all learned right. a lot reviewing things over the years. Great. So uh, speaking of learning a lot and reviewers learning a lot, <clears throat> uh, what are some of just your maybe top couple pieces of advices for um, people who are looking to review The Fringe for maybe the first time? And because that can be a little bit of an intimidating leap to say yes to that email from an editor that maybe you've been writing for and they're like, do you want to come review some Fringe? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, it's like being open, being willing to, again, the the Fringe runs the gamut from one person shows where it's totally minimalist and, you know, it's just a black box with a single lighting cue and just someone telling a story to, you know, uh, a theater production, a full-on theater production, and being willing to just what appeals about both of those forms and, you know, or, or everything in between, whether it's improv or contemporary dance, and just, like, trying again, see what are they doing? Are they succeeding in it? Are you having a good time? Is it worth it? Um, and just, uh, yeah. And then also just sort of being uh, not afraid to say what you, you think, but also do it in a way that's um, not just mean for the sake of it. Yeah. 
I think one of the things that I really enjoy about the fringe, and this is going to sound really cheesy, but I think that I think that what as a you know a new reviewer, someone who's maybe trying to get a little bit more familiar with what's happening in theater in general or the art scene is that the fringe is a really great place to see things get started and you know over the years you watch people kind of graduate from like their first fringe show to then being on like you know the main stages at theater network and things like that and I think that that is something really special um I think Edmonton has it's a huge opportunity to be able to see a bunch of shows at the fringe and get get paid dozens of dollars (laughs) um but also just um be exposed to so much in such a short period of time um it's kind of like it's like a binge you know and it's it's actually really great so just enjoy it go in with uh, go in with the mind that you're going to learn something and that you're going to see new things and down the road you'll see these ideas uh, as performers or ideas pop up again and you'll be like i remember when that was just a little seed of something at the fringe yeah, and I would. Uh, I just wanted to also add that, like, uh, you know, in in reviewing fringes, I've definitely seen things that I never would have chosen for myself, but I'm so glad I saw that have been amazing pieces of art that I still think about, just because I was, you know, reviewing everything at a venue, or I was someone mentioned something in the lineup. You know, there was buzz about this thing that maybe it didn't sound like my cup of tea, but I went anyways because I trusted whoever said so. So those sorts of discoveries sort of what you were saying exactly is just discoveries at the fringe is it's mm-hmm. such a beautiful place to make them and then yeah you can be the one who's like i remember when <laughs> yeah yeah well thanks pals um is there anything else you want to talk about before uh we move on uh the best food at the fringe is taco in a bag followed by uh steel wheels pizza at two in the morning <laughs> i'll second steel wheels but just God, don't eat at the Fringe. Go. There are beautiful restaurants on White Avenue. Go and support some other local business while you're around out there. Because, yeah, um, most of those trucks are just god awful. Wow. <laughs> sorry. Wow. Sorry. That's my that's my zero star review for the food at the Fringe. You got one. <laughs> it's the first. You heard it here first, folks. All right. We have some listings coming up. But first, an ad. For more pop culture commentary on the Alberta Podcast Network, check out Pop Cycle, a pop culture connections podcast with hosts Christian Zip and Eric Newby. On each episode, they dissect pop culture connective tissues. They have an archive going back to 2011, and on their most recent episode, they discuss how the Beach Boys' Good Vibrations connects to Robert Altman's live-action Popeye film starring Robin Williams. For more info about the Pop Cycle podcast and all of our APN pals, visit thealbertapodcastnetwork.com. We love being part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB, don't we, guys? (laughs) And how. (laughs) All right, and now, some listings. The Fringe! Who knew? From August 16th to 26th at various locations throughout Old Strathcona and Edmonton. Uh, Check out more. The theme this year is Fringosaurus Rex. Which was an audience-voted theme. I guess that one was the most popular. It's. I think it's the first time that they're not like based on an old movie or play or something like that. That's kind of interesting. Um, well, maybe not the first. Anyway, sorry. It's the end of the season, or it's the beginning of the next season, almost. And so we are looking for your listings. If you have shows coming up, if you have a season to tell us about, um, please let us know about it. You can send them to idgidance at gmail.com. One day we'll have our own domain on an email, but for now, just use that. We'll also put it in the show notes so that you can find it there. Um, Yeah. Great. Well, thanks for listening, everybody.
Bye. Bye. Go see some shows. I Don't Get It is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or check us out on albertapodcastnetwork.com or the CKUA radio app. I Don't Get It is recorded on Treaty 6 territory in Edmonton, Alberta in the Edmonton Community Foundation's podcast studio. Our theme music is Mountain Time by Ghibli, and you can find more of Ghibli's music by going to ghibli.bandcamp.com. I Don't Get It is produced by Andrew Paul, Fonda Mithrush, and Paul Blenov. Sit here thinking, I love you.